Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, to make this life count, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today, I'm interviewing Alcides and Leslie Marias from Brazil. Alcides and Leslie have been longtime disciples, and right now they're bivocational ministers in Goiânia, Brazil, which is in the center of uh, the this, the country of Brazil. Uh, Leslie and Alcides have been all over the world. They've been to Kenya. They've been to Harare. They've been to Addis Ababa in Ethiopia. Uh, they've been to the States. And they've got a story, story to tell about their missionary journey. One thing that inspires me about this couple is that they decided, decided to go back to Brazil after living in the States because they wanted their lives to make a difference. And now they serve as self-supporting ministers in Brazil. Um, but before we get into the program, I want to let you know about a mission planting that I'm organizing in Flagstaff, Arizona in the summer of 2021. There's a group of 12 disciples living in Flagstaff right now. My goal is to form a team of at least 15 more disciples to double that missionary outpost. If you're not familiar with Flagstaff, Flagstaff is in northern Arizona, close to the Grand Canyon. It's got about 140,000 people in the metropolitan area. It's forested. It's beautiful. It, it feels like Colorado. It's at 7,000 feet elevation. And I'm looking for people who are willing to move there, specifically long and short-term missionaries, summer missionaries, one- and two-year missionaries, and also families and singles who are willing to relocate to one of the most beautiful areas of the United States. Uh, with the rise of COVID and remote work, this is a great opportunity for you to, to go on mission. And also, I'm looking, for a, looking to hire a couple to lead the planting. That couple would first move to Tucson, where I live, in the state of Arizona, for personal training with Pam and myself. I'm looking for a young couple, married or dating, or engaged, who've graduated from college. They don't have to have previous church leadership experience. Pam and I would walk with, with them and prepare them to lead a planting with solid growth. Pam and I plan on helping the team to get off the ground for one to three months this next summer. So if you're interested in being part of an exciting mission team or actually leading the team yourself, please contact me. You can contact me my email, rob at tucsonchurchofchrist.org. You can go to my website, robskinner.com, or through Facebook. This is a direct way that you can make this life count and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Now, even if you can't join the team, I'd really like to ask you to please spread the word. And let me know if, if you know someone you think would be a great leader or team member to be a part of it. I've already received a number of different um, contacts from people interested or people who've uh, turned me on to different people interested in going. So uh, thank you so much. Please, please pray for the work there in Flagstaff. Alcides and Leslie, welcome to the program. Thanks for having us. Well, I'm very- Thank you so much. Great to be here. It's... I was thinking to myself, Man, with all these people that Rob has uh, interviewed, why is he interviewing us? <laughs> that he, he must have run out of people. Not at all. Not at all. I'm always looking for people that are willing to, to make this life count and want to live a no regrets life. And when I heard about 
your life and your story from my intern, Felipe Marias, who's actually my co-host today. Hey, Felipe. Hey, Rob. He said, I know this couple in Brazil. I told him I was looking for, for more people in Central and South America. And he said, these are the people you want to talk to, uh, Alcides and Leslie Marias. And so, um, you know, I, I've planted churches self-supporting, and I've got a heart for small churches as well as for bivocational ministers. And so um, that's why I want to talk to you this morning. Uh, let's go ahead and just start with this question. How did you guys become Christians? I'll let my wife start with that one. Um, I was in New York City, and I was in my last year of college. And a disciple named Nancy Ng, who I think now is in California, came up to me in the subway. And at the time, this was back in the 80s, I was carrying one of those large black art portfolios because I was an art student, a graphic design student, my last year of college. And, um, and she came and she was also an, a graphic design artist. And she came up to me and started chatting. And I thought she was really interesting. Our, our train was late. Um, and so we chatted and I kept noticing, she kept talking about this church <laughs> and she showed me the, the invitation card that she had designed for the church. And she just didn't look like a church person to me. <laughs> I thought that was interesting. And she seemed so, so together and artsy. And she just didn't seem like the type that would go to church. So we struck up a conversation. I still had about three months before I was going to uh, get out of school. And I just didn't make the time to come to anything. And so I think she kind of gave up on me. But then at the end of school, my then boyfriend and I took a trip to Puerto Rico to celebrate that we got through college. And it was there that I had a traumatic experience that when we got back to New York, I went running to church. <laughs> and the traumatic experience was my boyfriend's almost 90-year-old grandmother who didn't speak much English, but invited a friend of hers from a Pentecostal church to come and talk to us. But all the questions were directed at me. And basically she told me, you know, you're not a Christian and nothing you can tell me will convince me that you are. And if you die, you will go to hell. And I said, oh my God. <laughs> and I was traumatized. And the, and the worst part of the whole thing was I couldn't defend myself. And that really frustrated me. I had grown up going to church, but I, I knew I wasn't living a, a godly life. I, I knew the wrong things that I was doing. And here was this old woman <laughs> just you know sealing the nails on my coffin and as i'm telling as soon as we got back to new york i i found the card that nancy had given me and i talked to my boyfriend and i said we are going on sunday and we went and we heard um uh steve johnson 
preach. So I remember to this day, he was preaching a Father's Day message and the church was packed. And um, we got there a little bit late. So we sat in the back and I, what did I know about church? When it was over, I got up and we left. Nobody even had a chance to talk to us. But my boyfriend and I both liked the service and we were impressed with the message. And they had uh, two other dates during the week on the card. They had a, a midweek for Wednesday and a devotional on Friday. I, and I said to my boyfriend, let's go to, let's go to all three services this week and figure out which one we like. <laughs> and we can start going to that one. And so on Wednesday night, we went back and we were looking for this friend, Nancy, who had invited me and um, finally found her, started talking. She was really shocked because at least four months had gone by since she had invited me. And uh, we, she set up to study the Bible with me. A couple of weeks later, my boyfriend also started studying. And uh, three weeks later, I was baptized. So thank you, <laughs> old ladies who have <laughs> Well, for me, uh, I grew up uh, religious. So my father was a Presbyterian minister. And um, in 1987, the church was planted here in Sao Paulo, Brazil. And uh, one of the first converts was somebody I knew from the church that at the time I was a part of. So it turned out that this person who I knew came with one of the missionaries, Jim Brown, to the rehearsal we had Saturdays afternoon at the old church. So we were there rehearsing and, uh, and he came in with this um, brother and the brother, Jim Brown, started talking to me and invited me, found out that I studied at the university and invited me to a Bible discussion at the university. So I started going there and uh, we started studying the Bible and three weeks later, I was baptized. So I was the 16th baptism here in Brazil. Uh, so that was in 1987. Now, did your dad freak out that you joined a different church? Oh, yes. Um, he, it was, it was difficult. It was very difficult to talk to them, my, my father and my mother. And it was one of those things that he, uh, I remember clearly him saying, I'm going to take this, um, terrible, uh, decision of yours to, to the grave, to the grave. Mm -hmm. but the interesting thing was that, uh, when he was, old and, and just before dying, uh, we had some very interesting talks and we actually studied the Bible together. And one of the things that he said was, you are a true disciple. Uh, you are a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and I can see that. Um, so what, what, what a difference from, you know, that first talk we had about my decision of getting baptized and, uh, and, and from, you know, just before he died. Wow. So wow. God really worked tremendously through all the years. And uh, he, 
you know, he made the things change quite a bit. Wow. So you guys met on that original mission team. Leslie, can you tell me what led you to, to join the mission team? I mean, you got baptized, what, 85, 86, and then you went 87 on this mission team. Tell me, tell me quickly. I about got it. baptized in 1984. Okay. And then um, I actually stopped dating the guy who I was dating before I became a Christian. And a little bit later, started dating another guy. And this guy in the church was on the team. And so probably had I not been dating this other brother, I don't know that I would have ended up in Brazil. Um, I had grown up in New York. I at the time spoke a little bit of Spanish and I, I thought if I ever go somewhere, it'll be to a Spanish speaking country. I, I hadn't really considered Brazil, but this brother was on the, on the team with Mike Tolliver, Mike and Ambergit Tolliver. And um, that's what got me interested. And, you know, Mike made it very clear just cause you're dating this brother doesn't mean it's automatic for you to, to be on the team. You have to, you have to want it. And so that caused me to, to do some soul searching and make up my mind about whether or not this was something I would do, whether or not I was dating this brother or not. And it's a good thing that that happened because uh, I, we did a thing back then that I think was only done a few times in the history of our, our churches. We had a language internship. And so in 1986, we went down for three months and we spent that time basically to, to, to learn the language. And it was a very revealing time in our lives because several of the people that were originally on the team um, didn't make it. And my boyfriend was one of them. He just had a really challenging time he had a challenging time with the language he had a challenging time with the, the culture he he just didn't fit and i think that's something that that people need to understand some people are made for mission whether it's outside of the country or not and some people are, are made for for being in their environment and that's where they do well wow so you so, you were breaking hearts right and left back then <laughs> i you know it, it, Alcides was the only one who survived. <laughs> it must have been that that Brazilian. They're just, oh my gosh! So you didn't speak you didn't speak Portuguese before you came. No. You didn't speak any Did other not. languages. Just. I spoke some Spanish, okay. and the Spanish did help. Okay. But it gets to a point where Spanish gets in the way of learning Portuguese because it's just similar enough so that you can communicate, but then as you try to really uh, become proficient in the language, it gets in the way. Okay. So at some point I had to kind of turn off the Spanish in my head to be able to let the Portuguese really take over. Okay. So. Well, can you, what do most people not know about Brazil? We've got people listening to this podcast from all over the world. What, what, what would you like to let people know about Brazil that's not often, often known? Well, I think uh, when people think about Brazil, they think, they, they think about Rio, 
uh, Rio is kind of, uh, you know, the, the city that uh, people come to mind when people think about Brazil. But as we were talking about, uh, Brazil is a very large country, uh, as big as the US. And um, so we have a, a, a lot of, uh, you know, cities in Brazil that are over a million uh, people in terms of uh, the number of inhabitants. So, so we're talking here about uh, 220 million people uh, in, ter in terms of population of Brazil. So it's a very large country, um, is the largest uh, Portuguese speaking country in the world. So, so that I, I believe is something that people don't really uh, know about Brazil. Uh, and there is more to Brazil than samba and uh, meat. <laughs> um, you know, people like uh, red meat and there is uh, plenty of red meat here. Uh, the, <laughs> Rodizio type of uh, Brazilian restaurants that are very popular too. But, um, but I would say, you know, very fun loving people, very friendly. Uh, it's hard not to fall in love with, uh, with the culture and with the people in general. Yeah. I, it, it's interesting. Uh, we, we lived in Japan in the nineties and the early two thousands. And we were there for the 2002 world cup when Brazil won the World Cup among their many championships. But that was when there was the three R's on the team and you probably okay, Ronaldinho and Ronaldo and I can't remember the third third person. Rivaldo. Rivaldo, okay. You know, and I remember because they they celebrated at a Brazilian barbecue right down Tokyo after their their win. And that was our favorite one of our favorite restaurants. <laughs> in Tokyo because they would come by with the, the meat and they would cut it off. And oh my gosh, it was just, it was awesome. Totally awesome. Okay. I, I just, I've got to, you know, I know this is all about ministry and things like that. I got to ask about soccer. Okay. Brazil, soccer, hand in hand. I mean, Pele, how, how come all the championship teams seem to and so many great players come from Brazil. What what's what is it? Is it the meat? Is it the <laughs> what, what's going on down there? Well, uh, interestingly enough, I do believe that um, if you expose a kid to certain um, abilities or you know experiencing certain athletic um, abilities they will naturally develop uh, in that particular field. Um, and I think that's what happened to, happens to Brazilian kids. They, we say that uh, the first gift that a boy gets here in Brazil is a soccer ball. Uh, I, I believe things have changed a little bit, but you know, uh, in general, uh, kids, they grow up kicking a soccer ball and uh, they are uh, heroes, are soccer players. So that really encourages kids to develop their skill. They want to become like that particular soccer player. So they imitate the way that they deal with the ball, the way they dribble and, and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I believe, you know, we, we have this constant amount of uh, great players that are regularly coming up to the professional leagues and, that's amazing. I that's the, the key, yeah. 
really is amazing. Okay, well, let's let's get back onto our primary topic there. Um, can you tell me what was that like in the early days with that mission team with Mike Mike Tolifer leading and Mike and Ambergeet before they went to Africa? What was the atmosphere? I mean, what what are some good memories that you've got of that mission team, Leslie? Well, I, I've got to tell you, <clears throat> we've got lots of Christians in Sao Paulo and Rio that have been around for 30 years. And to this day, they still look back at those early days in Brazil with a lot of fondness. Mm-hmm. And and I think a lot of it had to do with Mike and Ambergeet. Um you know, I, I can't ever remember a harsh time with them. Um, yes, they had high expectations. Yes, they uh, wanted the, the mission to go well, but I think the earmark of our, our time was just fun. We had a lot of fun together. And, and fun breeds friendship. And then the friendship breeds family. And, and so I think as people were getting to know us, for sure, some people were attracted to that American group. You know, have you heard about that new church with those Americans? I, I think some people were attracted to that. But I think that, you know, we all have a, a pretty strong message that we need to get out about being true disciples of Christ. And if you can couple that with the fun and friendship and family environment that you need to get through some of the tough decisions you have to make as a disciple, it's just so much better, so much easier. And I've got, you know, we don't, obviously we don't live in Sao Paulo right now, but when I go to visit, I visit some of the, the, the women who I discipled in that first year, the, the women who became Christians those first two years, and they always come back and talk about those early days and about how, um, I think another thing that was really amazing is that when people feel like they're growing and changing, they're inspired. Mm-hmm. And Throughout our lives as Christians, we can have some moments where we feel like we're growing a lot and then some other moments where we're not. And so as Christians, when you feel like you're growing, you're seeing your faith in action, people are becoming Christians. Those are good times. Yeah. Well, let me let me stop you right there. I, like I mentioned at the beginning, I'm helping to organize a planting in, in northern Arizona this this next year, hopefully. Any advice you give to me, give me to to help get that planting off in the first three months? Like, what what are some of the things that you would recommend? Well, if I think back to the things that Mike did with the group, once you get your your mission team together, he had some weekly meetings, and also we tried to be together because uh, you know we were in New York City. And so some people lived in Queens, some people lived in Manhattan. We were kind of spread out. So he tried to start creating a group environment even long before we came down to Brazil. So we'd have some group meetings where we'd 
hear a lesson. We discuss what we were, were hearing. We try to open up. And I just remember those times as being um, essential for getting to know each other. Um, you, you really want your mission to gel. Yeah. And you can't do that if you don't, if you don't know each other. So that, I guess that's one thing. And aside from that, we did spend some time together just having fun. Yeah. So whether it's going out to a movie or spending time at somebody's house or whatever, there's got to be those life moments where you, you spend time together so that you can grow in trust. You can grow in, in um, even imitating, you know, the, the, the ones who you're leading. How right. can you imitate if you don't spend time with them? So that's all good. of that is really, really important. Thank you. Now, let's go back to the planting. Alcides, you're the 16th baptism. How Do you remember your first memory of seeing Leslie? Interesting. Uh, that you asked. Was there like a halo around her? What, like, did she have wings on? What, what was going on there? What was that experience so, like? So here's the thing. Uh, I would like to add that Brazil, when they came to Brazil, they had a very strong team. So they have, they had great leadership, but the team was very strong. We're talking about a group of singles uh, that were really amazing. To this day, each person uh, that came to that team has had an incredible impact in so many lives here. So it was a very strong uh, group of people, very committed, very focused. Uh, so that was, was amazing. And um, interestingly enough, uh, the brother, the, uh, actually Philippe's mom was in that team too, and uh, she's one of the most fruitful people I have ever met in my life. Uh, and when I was studying the Bible, it took me some time to start coming to all the services. So I worked at night. So I would come to the Sunday service, um, but I, I was not coming to the midweek service or the, the Debo that we had on Fridays. So that was actually something that I... You know, we were counting the cost and, and seeing about this thing. So actually, Leslie would hear about me that there was this guy who stood in the Bible, but she didn't know who I was. And I didn't know everybody. So I was coming on Sunday services and Bible talk at campus, but not coming to all the services. And um, so the first midweek service that I came was just the one just, I, I came to that midweek service and I was baptized after the service. So, so soon after that, we started, uh, you know, the brother who was discipling me, who started the Bible with me, uh, was getting me involved with dates. And the first sister I dated uh, was a sister who was part of the original team. Uh, at, the, at the time, her last name was Mora, Kathy Mora. Today, is, she's uh, Kathy Gonzalez. Uh, and uh, Jim Brown was, his date was Leslie. So the first, uh, in one sense, kind of memory that I have was that, that first date, that first double date that uh, I went uh, with and uh, I went to, and, and Leslie was uh, Jim Brown's uh, date that day. So I normally tell people that um, 
with such a small church, Leslie did not have many opportunities to go out to it. So, you know, the the options were very few, so I locked out. <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay, that's great. So you guys, you guys married uh, in a couple of years, or what year? What so, year did you guys get married? So um, I became a Christian in July of 1987. Um, we didn't start dating until January of 1989, so a year and a half later, after I became a Christian. And uh, we dated for six months, got engaged for five and a half months. And uh, so we started dating by the end of January of 1989, and we got married in the beginning of December of the same year. Wow. So Now, Leslie, I've got a question for you. That, that must have been a little scary dating a, a, a native, a Brazilian national, because, you, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, if I marry this guy, I'm, I'm stuck here. You know, this is going to be kind of for life. What was going through your head? You know, I don't remember feeling that fear at all. I guess it was I just, just my, just, just my unspiritual thinking. I have no, <laughs> I, I, think, I think it's a lot like what Alcides said. I haven't met an American who has come here to Brazil and hasn't fallen in love with the country. Wow. Um, it just, people are so friendly. Mm. The food is fantastic. The vibe is just, it's just, it's a great place to live. It's, it's not that big of a sacrifice for me to be here. And I think also going back to that talk that I had with, with Mike so many years ago, he said, you know, check your heart, figure out why you're coming down. It can't be for this guy you're dating. And when I came to Brazil, I wasn't dating anybody and I was here by myself. And for six months, I, I prayed about that relationship that I, that I was no longer in anymore. And um, at the six month mark, I said, enough. <laughs> I'm not praying about this anymore. God knows what I think I want, and he probably knows better what I need, so I'm not going to pray about it anymore. That's great. And, and Alcides and I were leading a Bible talk together. We had a great friendship. We went out all the time, and um, I think that uh, for me, I made the decision. I went to Brazil with the mindset that I I could probably live here for the rest of my life. Wow. Wow. Her mom was concerned though. Oh, my I, mom bet, was concerned, I bet yeah. she was like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to see my baby again. Okay. Let me, one of the things that impressed me when you sent me your biographical background is you guys became Christians. You're on the mission team there. You met on the mission team. Then you've, you've gone all over the place. I mean, you, you guys have traveled not only to Brazil, but to Africa and to the States. Can you give, can you give us just like a quick itinerary of the different places you've gone? Just kind of a bring, bring us up to, to now where you've gone and the timelines, just, just in a couple minutes, just share briefly where you've been. Yeah. Uh, you know, God has been really amazing. Uh, I, he has done much more than I could think or imagine or ask for uh, so what happened was in 1987, I became a Christian, 
10 months later, I was invited to work full-time for the church. So, so I, I started working full-time for the church. And in 1988, um, we did not have what became the world sectors. So pretty much a church would decide, I want to plant a church somewhere in the middle of, uh, you know, a country or whatever. In 1988, talks started regarding, you know, we got to really split the world. We've got to have some world sector leaders. We, we have to organize this whole thing here. So what happened was that um, the Johnsons, uh, Steve and Lisa Johnson, were invited to lead uh, a world sector that uh, would include the East Coast, the U.S. East Coast, Carib the Caribbean, uh, and Africa. And uh, so they talked to Mike and Brigitte if uh, they wanted to go to Africa. And obviously they had the, the option of staying in Brazil, but they would be under a different leadership. So they decided to go to Africa and Mike and Imogen invited some of the people that they were discipling at the time. Now, as you know, uh, there are a couple of uh, Port Portuguese speaking countries in Africa. So the well, idea- The one of, thing that you mentioned is that, you know, the, you mentioned on the, the sheet that there's a lot of Portuguese speakers. If you could speak to that as well. Yeah, so what happens is, uh, in the world, we're talking about uh, Portuguese-speaking people in Europe, in the Americas, in Africa, in Asia. So even though most people don't know that, there are as many Portuguese-speaking people around the world as you have French-speaking people. But, but people don't know that. So, so we do have like four, four countries in Africa Five, five countries in Africa that speak Portuguese. So at the time, Mike was already thinking, uh, you know, we need to think about Portuguese speaking Africa too. So I was one of the people that were invited wow. to come along with Mike and Emergy together with Leslie and a couple of other uh, disciples. And uh, so that was the way that we ended up in Africa. First in Nairobi, then Zimbabwe, and eventually in uh, Ethiopia. Um, soon after that, um, being in Ethiopia. And if I can just interject, during that time in Africa, which was about three and a half years, we could not go to any Portuguese-speaking countries because the two largest were in the midst of civil unrest. And so there were wars going on in both Mozambique and Angola. And so we couldn't even visit. So. We were there in Africa, in other countries, while all of that was going on. So interestingly enough, uh, the purpose for me to have gone to Africa was Portuguese-speaking countries, but I did not even go to those countries because at the time, it, it just didn't work out. So then we came back to Brazil, married with a kid, and uh, was working uh, in the ministry in Sao Paulo left the full-time ministry uh, for a year, were invited to come back to the full-time ministry, and then went to Rio. Stayed in Rio for until 1998, came back to Sao Paulo, uh, started working with the Hope 
here in Brazil uh, for a while. And then 2003 came along. Uh, when 2003 came along, we, we were still here in, in Sao Paulo. Um, but once in a while, we would talk about Les's mom, her health and uh, the fact that she was getting older. Uh, her mom was going through some real challenging situations, physically speaking. So we had to make a decision about uh, maybe that was the time for Leslie to help her mom. Um, and um, so we decided by the end of 2003, we decided to move to Seattle. Her mom was in Seattle at the time. She, she was originally from Seattle. So we got the kids who were 12 and 10 at the time, went to Seattle and uh, it, it was great because um, the church was, doing really well. Um, you know, the Greens had done a, an outstanding job. So when everything happened in 2003, it didn't really seem like it was a big deal in Seattle, like it had been for us here in Sao Paulo. So it was, it was a perfect kind of a situation for us. We, we found a home there in the church and, uh, and we were able to help with Leslie's mom who passed away a little bit, uh, you know, after that, you know, two and a half years, almost three years after that. From the time that I left for the mission field in Brazil, I had spent 18 years outside of the US. And so when we went back to live in Seattle, it was the first time in almost 20 years that I had been able to spend time with my mom, which I feel like sometimes when people are thinking about missions, their family and their responsibilities weigh so heavily on their hearts. I, I feel like God answered every prayer and every need that I had regarding that. Because in the time that I was away, my mother had had a car accident. Her health was really bad. And, and I struggled from time to time with guilt. You know, what kind of a daughter am I? I'm traipsing all around the world. Uh, doing these things that I, I think are important and I think God appreciates, but what about my mom? How, who's going to take care of her? And I had a brother and a sister, but they lived on the other, the other coast. They were in New York, and my mom was in Seattle. But God really gave um, me this opportunity to go back, to be able to be with her, for her to get to know her grandchildren, and I had another two and a half years with her before she passed away. And I was, I was really able to take care of some physical, emotional, and some spiritual needs that she had. How long did you stay in Seattle? We were there for 10 years. So uh, we moved there at the end of uh, 2003. Uh, right. Right at the end of 2003, last days of uh, December, and uh, we left Seattle in May of 2014. Okay, so you're you're there in Seattle. Seattle's a beautiful city. I've lived there a little bit, and um, I mean, why why'd you leave? You you know, it's a stable situation. You've got your kids there. Everyone's happy. You could just ride off into the sunset. Why did you go back to? the quote-unquote mission field back to Brazil? You know, um, life was getting pretty stable there in Seattle. Uh, 
for the first time in, in our lives, we were planning vacations and uh, going to nice places. And I was buying nice gifts to the wife. That had never happened before in my life. Trust me, never. And I thought, whoa, this is different. So yes, uh, we both had very good jobs, uh, pretty stable situation. Uh, the other day I was watching with Leslie the best places to live in America and Seattle was number one. And, uh, and we lived in a very nice place in the great Seattle area, the east side. Um, so life was good, uh, but there was something in my heart that was kind of uh, disturbing me. That was pretty much what it was. I would go out to pray and uh, the parable of the talent would keep coming to my mind. And, um, and pretty much the reality is the U.S. has lots of couples like Les and I. But that's not the reality outside of the U.S. There are not as many couples with the training, with the experience, um, with the, the, the talent, maybe, um, that we have to do some certain things in the church. And, and, and I kept thinking, am I using all the talents that God gave me to do his work? And, and I start praying and I start fasting about that and uh, start talking to Leslie about it. That was like beginning of 2012. And God was, you know, opening some doors and uh, making some things clear. And by May of 2014, we were moving back to Brazil, to Goiânia. Wow, that's amazing. How did you choose Goiânia as a destination? I mean, I've never heard of the city. I, you, you could, you know, I would never find that until I, you know, Google it on on maps. It's it's like right in the middle of the, the country. How how was that chosen? Well, um, I have to admit the um, the 2012 conference in San Antonio really helped us a lot. Um, Alcides had begun praying. He was talking with me. Uh, I, I wasn't as unsatisfied with life as he was. <laughs> but um, we started getting on the same page about things. I saw his points. I, I could understand what he, what he was feeling. So we started praying about it. And we decided we're going to the conference. So we went there. And the, the first night that we were there, it was a Thursday, they had an Africa night. And somewhere in one of the hotels, there were all the brothers and, and sisters who were representing the churches in Africa. The leaders were having these talks with American churches and putting out the putting forth the needs that were going on in Africa. And it was one brother after another getting up and sharing, this is what's going on in Nigeria, and this is what's going on in Kenya, and this is what's happening in in Zimbabwe and and we're there and we're thinking oh we've been there we've seen that oh we we need to go back to Africa <laughs> and we go back to the hotel that night and we pray about it and go to sleep the next day Friday there was a Brazilian night so we go to that 
the Brazilians took over a Denny. I, I, I've never <laughs> seen anything like it. Everybody was standing up. The manager kept asking people to please sit down. And, and these Christians were just talking and fellowshipping. <laughs> and it was a madhouse. And we had run into everybody we ever had met in Brazil. And so it was like this big family reunion. And we ran into Sylvia and John Reyes from Miami. Sylvia is Brazilian and John at some point came down to Brazil and, and as a missionary and was working there, met Sylvia. Now they, they live and work um, in the ministry in Miami. They say, oh, Leslie, I'll see this. Come here, sit down, talk with us. First thing they said to us was, when are you coming back to Brazil? <laughs> and we're like, man, oh. <laughs> what do we do? We, our heart is in both places. We, we, we see the need. We want to help. And the rest of the weekend was just intense, amazing fellowship, lessons, sermons. It was fantastic. Well, we go to the airport. And we run into Georgie and um, Anna Bittencourt, who were leading. Um, they were in Brasilia. They the were time. in Brasilia at the time. And we happened to run into them at, at the airport. And we said, hey, what can we do? I mean, practically, what can we do now to help the churches in Brazil? And Georgie said, hey, if you could, um, you know, learn how to use Skype and give us some classes for married people raising kids, that would be a huge help. And we thought we can do that. And that's how it got started. Um, so Goiânia actually was a church. It was not really a church per se. A couple had moved here to Goiânia because of work and uh, they uh, wanted to start something here. And they uh, went to Brasilia and started talking to leadership there in Brasilia about uh, help here to, to help them with the, the work in Goiânia. So they started a Bible discussion here. Some people were baptized. And Brasilia was looking for somebody that could maybe help with leadership here in Goiânia. So this first contact that we had with Brasilia, helping with married couples, um, it really helped us to kind of uh, get directed towards Brasilia. I see. <laughs> and then Brasilia kind of asked us, uh, they invited us to come to, uh, uh, to visit February of uh, 2014. And at the end of the trip, they, they asked us if we would like to move back. Wow. So <laughs> at, at that point, our, our minds were already made and it was, it was an easy decision. Yeah. So we moved to Goiânia without knowing the city. Oh uh, and uh, we made the decision without knowing the city. From, from the time that we were talking to them in February, we moved back to Brazil three months later. Okay. Now I want to talk, talk to you about this because there are people listening that would really like to go on a mission team. But they're maybe in their 30s or 40s. They've got kids. And maybe they've got a mortgage. They've got some debt, and they're like, "Man, I'd like to. I really like to do that." It, it's tough, and very few make that transition. What, what did it take you to 
to pull up your roots and get back there. If you can, you know, kind of summarize yeah. it. And then what advice would you give for people that are considering it? You know, whether it's Brazil or anywhere else, just it, it's tough. I mean, it's challenging. It's not an easy transition to, to leave uh, the States and then all of a sudden just go on a mission field. What, what did you face and what advice would you give? What was difficult about it? Well, I think the, the biggest, the most difficult thing is for you to actually make the decision uh, because you are struggling with all those things that you just brought up. Uh, I have this, I have that, I have the other thing. When you make the decision, and this should be a decision made because of convictions, spiritual convictions that you have, not because anybody's pushing you to make this decision. Uh, when this decision is made, then I believe things start falling into place. Uh, and you find ways of resolving all the different pieces of the puzzle. Um, if you are going on a mission uh, in, within the US, you know, it's, it's, it's challenging, but it's a little easier. <laughs> it, you, you, you know the language, uh, you know the culture, uh, your kids will be able to go to a decent school. Uh, you know, in one sense, what to expect. Obviously, moving with a family, with kids in school age, uh, from one country to another country, has its challenges. And, and I think it will be very important to seek a lot of advice uh, about their particular situation. But uh, the most important thing, the thing that I didn't want when I was looking back in, at the time in Seattle and I was feeling really restless about our situation, it was pretty much I did not want to go back and keep going my life and then look back and say, I could have done that, I should have done that, and I didn't. Oh my gosh. I did not want to live with this kind of thing in my life, in my heart, in my mind. I want my life to count, and I, I want the, I think the biggest challenge is to understand that we are passing through. Yeah. 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 Uh, the biggest talent that God has given me is to speak Portuguese. Um, and, and I have to use the talent that he has given me. Um, so I just could not live with myself. Just, uh, you know, looking back and thinking, I should have done that and I, I haven't done it. That's awesome. I think something that's super important, I mean, you can make your list, your pros and your con list, for us, the deciding factors were, where are we going to be able to make the most impact? Um, we should be able to be disciples anywhere. We better, <laughs> we better be disciples anywhere. And I, I remember um, Mike saying quite a bit, hey, as we were getting ready to go to Brazil, he would say, if you're not doing it here, where you're in your comfort zone, you speak the language, you know the people. If you're not doing it here, don't kid yourself. You're not going to do it there. And so I think sometimes people look for a little excitement or a change of environment. 
And, and I don't think those are the right reasons to go on a mission. I think you have to know yourself, know your, your talents, your abilities, and try and figure out where can I be most useful? That's great. So, okay. I think that was one of the deciding factors for us. Well, I commend your, your attitude and your spirit. And I think it, it's, it's rare. And I think it's something that we, you know, as a family of churches really need to take a hard look at because there are so, like you said, there are so many gifted people in the States and in first world countries that um, could make a huge difference. They, 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 they might be sitting on the bench in their local church, not doing much, but if they were simply to change location and go somewhere else, they would be so utilized and respected and feel so engaged. Um, that's yeah. why I love church planting and small church growth is because, you know, you don't realize how much you've acquired over the years and how much you have to give. So in any case, thank you. Thank you for your great example. I, it's, it's impressive. I mean, for you, you guys must've left your kids, I guess, back in the States. I mean, you had to leave family a second time. That must've been hard for you, Leslie. I, I do, do want to say something, and I think this is especially for the women, you know, people talk a lot about how women are nesters. We we build the home. We, we, we make it nice for our families. It is not an easy thing to leave. And the first 10 years of our marriage, we moved 12 times. And sometimes it was from state to state. Sometimes it was country. Sometimes it was continent. And that just kind of became our rhythm. So when we left to, to live in Seattle, it was the first time we had lived in the same city for more than two years at a time. And at the two year mark, I could feel that I was, there was something kind of weird going on. And I said, oh, I'm feeling strange. And he said, it's time to move. <laughs> this, is our, this is our limit. We've never been anywhere longer than two years. And I said, you know, I think you're right. And it was at that moment where we had to think about kids in junior high school. And we had to think about stability for them. And we had to think about my elderly mom who needed assistance. And the roots started taking, you know, setting. They started growing. And, and the longer you're in a place, the harder it is for you to leave. Yeah. And this last time that we, when we left Seattle, it was very hard for me, mm. much harder for me than it was for Alcides. Um, we left our children for the first time. They had always come with us in every move. They were always with us. But this time... Our, our daughter had already left home and she was living in San Diego. Our son was also not living at home anymore, but he was in Seattle. And now we were taking off for Brazil, where if there were some kind of emergency, it would be a 10 hour flight. So it's, it's and that's if you had the money to pay for your flight mm. and so it was something it was a count it was a cost to count oh my gosh I can't <laughs> imagine. now let me ask you a little bit about your kids do your kids speak portuguese yeah they're both uh fluent uh in portuguese um 
the the girl speaks really well. She's very good with languages. Uh, my son speaks too. Uh, he gets a little rusty, uh, so he needs to practice uh, sometimes. And but but both are fluent in Portuguese. Yes. So when you guys pull together, do you guys speak in English or do you speak in Portuguese? So that was an interesting thing. Um, because we lived in Brazil when the kids were growing in terms of, you know, early childhood and things like that. And they were naturally learning Portuguese because everybody around them spoke Portuguese. We decided that the language at home would be English. I see. So, <laughs> so they could uh, learn English and understand English. And that was great. They, they could understand and everything. The challenge was when we moved to the US to turn this to Portuguese. That never really took place. Yeah, it didn't. You know, so, <laughs> so I, yeah. Okay, okay, let me just change, what, before we switch out of that one, would you like to say anything to your kids? You know, we love them tremendously. Uh, they are very dear to us. Uh, Leslie, she, she works with Lucas. Uh, they have a small business together. So, so she's talking to him uh, regularly. Uh, I love the times that we can talk. And uh, Stephanie uh, was blessed to marry a, a great guy in Atlanta. And uh, so we're, we're just uh, in love with our kids. We, we sometimes look and think, how, how could God give us such cool kids? You know? <laughs> uh, they, they are great. They are awesome. Very talented. Um, we just love them very much. Okay. Let me, let me just change subjects here. And I, I've heard that the Brazilian churches had gone through a very difficult period after 2003 and that there was a, a real sharp drop in the numbers in the churches. Can you, can you explain, you know, what happened briefly and how did, how did you guys manage to weather that? How did you manage this? I mean, you guys are still fired up. You're still mission minded. Um, can you just speak to that please? So 2003 was definitely a very difficult time for us personally, but also for the church. Um, looking back now, the way I see is the church was not mature enough and, and leadership was not mature enough. Uh, so this combination uh, really made things harder than maybe they should have been. Um, so there was a lot of uh, mistrust. Uh, people were being accused and uh, people were being uh, judged. Uh, and this was very difficult uh, for the ones who were leading at the time. It was very difficult for the ones that were trying to be in the middle of things and, and help people. Um, so a church of over 4,000 people, Sao Paulo at the time, uh, in a matter of a year, turned to be 1,200. Uh, so it was devastating uh, to all of us. Uh, we were all heartbroken. Um, and, and because of this, 
it took a long time for the church to recover. We feel like only now we are starting to get focused on what we should be focused. Um, but it was a very challenging time. I don't know if Leslie wants to add anything. You know, we've, we've discussed this among ourselves and even with other leaders. I, I think the whole mentality of mega church, you know, I, I don't know how healthy that is. I don't know how, how good it is to have such large churches unless you're able to really build in a solid way the smaller groups. And I, I think that's where places like Sao Paulo that were targeted to be this mega church at, at whatever cost, I think that the building just was not what it needed to be, like we see in the Bible. You know, be careful how you build, and it's got to be with costly materials and precious stones. And I think that there there was not the the it was not sustained. And you know, I look at the time of two thousand and three as a necessary time. I think it was completely from God and that we needed it to sort of take a step back, you know, reassess and figure out who we want to be as a, as a church, as a people and, and decide how we want to grow and are we doing it the way that God really wants us to. And when we talk about the leadership, we're talking about ourselves because we're leading leaders too. Mm -hmm. So we're talking about uh, problems we had, deficiencies that we had. And it, it was very hard for all of us yeah. to see what was happening. Well, you guys hung on to your faith and now you're, you're still doing what you started out doing. How, how'd you get there? I mean, how'd you maintain and, and protect your faith? I think one thing that was really necessary for us is when we went back to the States, we had a, a, a time of renewal and refreshing and healing. And I don't think we would have had that if we had stayed here in Brazil because the needs were so great. And so, you know, when we went to Seattle, um, you know, the whole world was going through the 2003 situation. And even in Seattle, there were some things that they were rediscovering and figuring out and all of that. And we happened to come at a time where I remember a service where they were talking about, you know, we really want everyone to, to figure out some kind of a discipling relationship that you can be a part of. And we were living fairly close to a, an older couple that we thought, man, if this couple could disciple us, we would, this would be fantastic. And it was um, Ron and Linda Brumley. Uh -huh. And we happened to be in a Bible talk with them. And I said, and as they're making that announcement in church, I said, oh, let's ask them. And I'll see this. Are you kidding me? They're going to have, a, you know, dozens of people wanting to be discipled by them. And I said, well, it can't hurt to ask, let's, let's ask. So we went up to them after the service and we said, you know, I'm sure you're, you're gonna be just inundated with requests 
but we'd really like you to consider discipling us. And they said, oh, okay, well, let us discuss that and we'll, we'll get back to you. <laughs> they got back to us and they said, sure, we'd love to disciple you. And here we're thinking, wow, we just hit the lottery, only to find out that no one else had initiated with them. And, and I think that that just showed me um, the point that everybody was at at that time, where people were kind of pulling back, doing their own thing. And, and one decision, I, I see the need to be discipled. And going for it, it made all the difference for us. Felipe, do you have any questions for Alcides? Well, different subject now, but um, I'm super inspired by what you guys have done in Brazil. And I've seen firsthand the family, the friendliness. You guys welcomed me when I visited so well. You made up, Leslie, despite uh, how much you moved around, you made the home super comfortable and even made it seem like a hotel room for me. It was awesome. But I was super inspired by the time I, I got to spend with you guys there to see the church in Goiânia. And super inspired by some stories you shared uh, about the work in Brazil, what you guys are involved in now, how you're moving forward from 2003, and also even thinking worldwide about Portuguese-speaking nations. Uh, so can... I was wondering if you could share a little bit about that. What's the vision now moving forward from 2003 and uh, some of the trips you've taken recently to places like Mozambique? Uh, we're very excited about uh, connecting Brazil with Portuguese-speaking Africa. Uh, we love Africa. Uh, has been in our hearts for many years now. And, uh, and we have been building a real... A friendship, real friendship with the, the brothers and sisters in Mozambique and in Angola. So this has been really special for us. We have had a couple of uh, services uh, that involved Brazil, Angola, and Mozambique, uh, virtual services during this time. And uh, this has been really exciting. Uh, we, in the past uh, couple of years, have traveled three times to visit the churches there. So, so we, are, we are very confident that Brazil has uh, a very important job to do uh, in the Portuguese-speaking world. And as Leslie mentioned, the time now has come where we need to forget what is behind and focus on what's ahead. And there is uh, a need in the Portuguese-speaking world. Uh, we have only touched the surface. There is a lot of work to be done in Brazil. There is a lot of work to be done in Portuguese-speaking world. And, and, and Brazil <laughs> is, is, is a very important piece of this puzzle. So, so we're really excited about what is ahead of us. We don't feel like retiring. Uh, even though I know the time will come, but, um, but we want to see the new generation uh, taking, you know, the responsibility also and, uh, and, 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 and also seeing what's, you know, in front of us, the challenges, but also the, the rewards. 
And can you share a little bit about maybe some of the most inspiring stories you have from your collaboration with Angola, with Mozambique? Just an inspiring story for our listeners. Uh, absolutely. Uh, there, there are a couple of things that happened in Africa that were really exciting. The, the street preaching in Africa, when we first lived in Africa, was something really incredible. Uh, we would have these huge crowds that would just stop to listen to the preaching. And a lot of people would start studying the Bible right there. And uh, so, so that was very exciting when that happened. But there is one unique story that happened just a couple of years ago. So when Mike and Brigitte Tulliver were here 33 years ago, okay, uh, a young man um, from the north part of Mozambique start sending letters and Mike start, you know, exchanging letters with this young man in the north part of Mozambique and uh, sharing about what was happening here. The man there wants to know, you know, about discipling. And uh, so it, it, what happened was in 1988, that was 1987, 1988, Mike and MG decided to move to Africa and they lost contact. Okay, now this guy, what he did was he just wrote letters to six different countries around the world, okay? To the Igreja de Cristo, to the Church of Christ in Brazil, in France, in um, uh, South Africa, in this place, and for some reason, Mike got one of those letters. We don't understand how that happened. It so happened. <laughs> They lost contact many, many years later, 2018, 2017, end of 2017. This gentleman in the north part of Mozambique, uh, Papa Elias, we call him Papa Elias. Papa is father. It's, it's the way you call older men, okay? So I would be a Papa right now. Uh, so Papa Elias found Mike through Facebook. His children asked, uh, helped him to find Mike on Facebook. Got in touch with Mike. Mike got in, him, the same guy from 33 years ago. Mike got him in touch with the brother that was leading Maputo, the capital of Mozambique at the time. So they start talking on the phone. So he tells this guy, Papa Elias, he tells him, look, there is a couple that is coming from Brazil to spend a month here with us in Maputo in July. That was 2018. It was Les and I who were going to go and spend a, a month there. Why don't you come down with your wife and get to know the church here in Maputo? So Papa Elias and his wife, Mama Angelina, come down to Maputo at the time that we were there. Start listening to classes and the participating on things. And we start sharing our beliefs with them, start studying the Bible with them. Long story short, two days before we come back to Brazil, they get baptized. So they lead a church in Nakala. That, and that by the way was called the Church of Christ. Right. <laughs> so they lead a church in Nakala, but they also oversee the, the work uh, in other parts of North 
Mozambique, smaller groups. So here we have this couple that have dedicated their lives to the ministry, to help people, to shepherd, looking for help. And now we have this church that wants to know more about being disciples. So they go back, they start studying the Bible with people, uh, baptizing people there. And we have a church. They are now in Akala. Uh, and, and we're trying to figure it out. How can we make this thing work? Uh, how can we help them? And we are in constant you know, contact with them, talking through WhatsApp, through Zoom. Uh, and, and the church in Maputo is taking care of them. So this is an amazing story, you know, uh, what God does. And, uh, and it started 33 years ago with uh, this guy wanting to know more about God and reaching out to people, whatever they may be. Wow. Uh, God's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. Thanks so much for sharing that. I know you shared that with me when I visited, but uh, it's awesome to have the details again. And so incredible how God keeps working behind the scenes. If a person were want, wanting to visit Brazil, because I, I know after talking to you guys, I go, I want to go. I want to go visit. <laughs> where Where would you recommend if someone wanted to even just go on a vacation? Any idea? Any uh, recommendations? So, uh, São Paulo is a city of twenty million people. Wow. So, I mean, if you look for if you are looking for a place that is just huge. Uh, lots of incredible restaurants and uh, not, you know, different museums and all that kind of stuff. Sao Paulo may be the place for you to visit cultural life and all of that. Rio is just a beautiful place. Uh, the, the beaches, the mountains, uh, it's just very beautiful. But you do have lots of uh, places in the northeast of Brazil that have the most incredible beaches that you can imagine. Uh, they are like uh, best in the world. So it comes down to what, what you're looking for. Uh, the south part of Brazil uh, has uh, very nice uh, mountains also. Um, so, and, and then you have the Amazon plus the Pantanal. So where nature is just, uh, you know, teeming is yeah. what uh, best you can find in terms of animals and uh, plants. So it's just a and then you, and then you've got Goiânia. You know, if you want <laughs> if you want to come and visit, you've got to come to Goiânia. We we bill it as the Texan um, capital of Brazil. Okay. Cattle country. Cattle country, cowboys, ranches. Um, you know, it's you know, interesting that you mentioned. Countries here. It's interesting you mentioned cowboys because I was watching a, a rodeo the other day and it was a uh, horse roping or bull riding. I couldn't remember. And for the first time, I, I took a look and the top three scorers were from Brazil. The Americans were like four, five, and six, and I'd never seen that before. And all, all the best uh, cowboys were, were from Brazil. Interesting. Anyway, um, what, what advice? I mean, the fact that you guys are, are still preaching the word, you guys are in your mid-50s, 
any advice to those those people that want to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches, want to make their life count? Any any advice you'd give, any help that you could offer to people who are like, I'm almost there, I really want to go for it, what would you tell them? I think the first thing that will impact somebody's life is seeing the example in somebody else's life. So I can go and train somebody to do certain things because I have learned, I have been trained, uh, I have experienced. But people seeing you doing that, even at uh, you know your mid fifties, that's that's really impactful. Yeah. And that's the way we feel like things has have been here. It's not so much what we have told people, what we have taught, but it's the fact that we did. And when you do, you kind of take the excuses away from yeah. people. Uh, well, if they did, well, I guess I can do too. Uh, if they did, um, what am I going to say? So number one, if you want to impact people, you got to do it. Uh, you got to live the life of a disciple. You, you have to put Jesus first. You have to embrace the call that you have received when you first studied the Bible to go to all nations and baptize people and teach them to obey. I think, too, people need to realize that nowadays we have so many forms of being able to go out and do these things. Um, it kind of takes away all of the fear and it takes away some of the excuses too. I mean, you can be in your fifties and decide I'm gonna use a whole summer. I'm just gonna go somewhere that I wanna go, that I wanna be able to give back to. Maybe, you know, I'm from a particular culture and I've never visited that country. I, I wanna go there and spend three months with the church. You can do that. Um, maybe you're a couple who's in their 30s and you've got children, you know, all under the age of five. It's actually easier to travel with children who are that age than when they're older. You can take two years of your life, kind of lock down stuff there in the States, put it in storage and say, hey, two years, we're going to be in Italy. Right. And we're going to learn the language and visit, you know, uncles and cousins and we're going to just have a good time here and and you can always come back and resume life um i i think back in the day when when i started as a missionary it was the two suitcase rule it was you go and you go for good and it was it's kind of daunting but you know people were there saying let's do it let's go I think nowadays we have a lot of options and you have a lot of freedom and, and you can see what fits for you. We have a lot of friends who are in the, their 50s, their parents haven't passed away. Our, our parents passed away, I, I guess it's been now 10 years since our last parent passed away. That's a circumstance that a lot of people our age are not yet in. And so they don't have that freedom yet to be able to do those kind of things. That's but you might be able to do it in pieces. That's right. Know? That's great. I, or I, go ahead. you might be able to do in your own country. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, you just shared about the church that you're about to 
began. Uh, what a great opportunity to serve yeah. and to make disciples, yeah. to make an impact. I, I don't, I haven't run into too many people that have ever gone on a mission and, and regretted, you know, the experience, yeah. even if it was challenging, they, they, they learned something from it. And I just am so grateful to God that we were able to go overseas for 10 years to Japan. What an opportunity. And it's one of those things where when you go, you go, oh my gosh, I'm just so, so grateful that I ended up here and it's worth it. So if anyone's out there thinking about it, please go for it. Don't, don't hold back at all. Well, it's been great to have Felipe Marias on this. Felipe, do you have anything else you want to say or, or comment or? Well, I just want to say thank you guys for joining us today. I'm so happy to see you. Uh, it was refreshing for me. And uh, obviously our family histories are kind of intertwined. We'll see if there's anything more in the future to come, but I'll be praying for you guys. And it's so good to see you again. Thank you. Absolutely. And I, I want to just uh, say that it's great what uh, Felipe's brother did. Uh, he wanted to serve here in Brazil. He is a Portuguese speaker. He could have stayed in the U.S., yeah. but he wanted to come and uh, do something here and serve here. He was for five months here with us in Goiânia. He's in Sao Paulo now uh, working and, uh, and helping there. So the opportunities are many. Yeah. Uh, so, Leslie, did you know Felipe's mom on the mission team? Were you guys on the same mission team? Are you kidding me? We were in the same. We lived together for two years, that crazy woman, Diana. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I didn't realize that. I've only heard stories. Oh, Yeah. <laughs> We live together. This is how amazing the kingdom is. Uh, you know, Diana and I go way, way back. We're both New Yorkers. She lived in Queens. I lived in Staten Island. Got to know each other when we became Christians. And we go down on the mission team together. Um, we'll, we'll forever be friends. And then Diana marries... Alcides' friend, Dacio, they were living together oh. in, in Sao Paulo, sharing an apartment. And I become a Christian, and then I bring him to church. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, that's amazing. So, you know, the king, God is amazing. He, he knows our needs. Uh, back when I lived in New York, I also had, I had so many roommates. It's amazing. I counted it up one time. I've had over a hundred roommates. <laughs> and those were the ones I could remember. But one of my roommates in New York City was Amanda, um, I can't remember her last name, Amanda Lewis at the time. Well, Amanda Lewis goes and marries Bill Burke and they have their firstborn son who's Carter who ends up marrying my daughter. Oh my I, I lived with Amanda. <laughs> so you know, God, God is getting all these nice little situations worked out. We don't have to worry about anything. Yeah, God has it all under control. It's a small world. God's got it fully, fully under under control. Well, Alcides and Leslie, so nice to meet you. And I, I just want to let you know how much I respect you, your work, your service for God. Um, you know, Jesus said the love of most will grow cold. And it, it's clear that your hearts are still burning bright for Christ. And I just love that and respect that. And that's what I strive for myself. And I, I hope that when I someday 
my I can take Pam down to Brazil and see you down there. It'd be awesome to meet you in person. And I want to I want to can I chime in? Sure, go ahead. <laughs> is uh is there anything listeners here in the US or worldwide can do to support you guys in Goiânia? And I think you guys are a one-year challenge site. Uh, is there anything in particular that would help? Well, I, first, first of all, I would like to say that we would love to have your visit here, Rob. Uh, and yeah. uh, the, the Skinners would just uh, be very welcomed here. Um, we feel like we are the ones that have been blessed the most. Yes. We can never give more than God gives. Uh, we, we, we just are extremely thankful and blessed to have lived through the things that we have done. Mm-hmm. So we feel like we're the ones who are blessed. Uh, we don't feel like a sacrifice at all. Um, in terms of, uh, I would like to thank you, Rob, for uh, one thing that I, f- I feel like it's very important to, to share. Um, because of our concern with uh, making sure that Brazil will uh, be reached, um, we are starting a support group uh, with uh, leaders of small groups. Some are small church, some are like Bible talk size, some are just couples that are living in different locations in Brazil who are disciples, but because of circumstances have moved to a different location. And, uh, and we're starting this support group to see what God is going to do in terms of uh, making it grow. Um, and, and we're using your book, actually, uh, about how to plant and grow a church as the, the basis for discussions and in terms of equipping people to, to do the work and to, to dream about what God can do with their lives. Yeah. So I'd like to thank you for all the effort, you know, providing material, good quality material for people who are dreaming about seeing this world being reached. And thank you so much. About the question that Philippe just gave us uh, regarding Brazil, regarding Goiânia, please pray for us. Yes. (laughs) Um, We we do want to do God's work here. Uh, Sometimes we feel that uh, we are in the right direction. Sometimes we feel like, man, what are we doing? And uh, (laughs) so so please pray for us um, and come visit us. We would uh, love to have your visit. Uh, use one of your vacations to come and serve here uh, for for your summer. That'd that would be, awesome. be wonderful. Thank you. And I want to thank you today for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life, and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you've enjoyed the program, please subscribe and let your friends know about the Rob Skinner podcast. Have a great day and make this life count.